Good morning. morning. That's my cue for Chad to fire me up. Um, Many of you already know who I am, but I'll introduce myself and give you a little bit of background on me before I get started while Stella's making copies. Of course, my name is Angie Johnson. Um, My family and I have been with Cornerstone for 22 years this year. And uh, we started with them when they were on Liggett's Road and have been blessed to continue to be with them. Um, I'm married to this wonderful man back here, James Johnson. (laughs) We'll be celebrating our 31st anniversary in August, and uh, I will will say it's (laughs) 31st. (laughs) We uh, have been tremendously blessed um, in our marriage, and we have two children, Deirdre and Amber, 26 and 29, and two grandchildren, Avery and Jamin. And, and we are very close to our families. Uh, James grew up in Lynchburg. I grew up in Amherst County. Back then it was taboo for us to cross the river with each other because Amherst and Heritage were rivals. But uh, we crossed the river anyway and uh, have been blessed by God ever since. I started in banking in 1989 um, as an office assistant and in 1992 moved into an intern program and started working in the branches. Um, and that's where I started gaining knowledge and more background about banking. And um, in 2000, I left banking and decided to go explore some other things. And in 2006, I went back into banking. I've been with Bank of the James since 2006. I will have to tell you a little bit of a testimony, though. In 2000, it was after Wachovia had come and purchased Central Fidelity. And I thought I had a career path. And if any of you are trying to have a career, the ladder, the rungs don't end. You're always trying to climb, 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 and there's always going to be somebody above you, regardless of what it is you try to do. Um, I became very frustrated. I cried going to work. I cried coming home from work. I was anxious. I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown because the competition was so fierce, and I was traveling on the road back and forth all the time and, and just had no life to myself. So. James and I talked about it, and I came out of banking and went into uh, a nonprofit organization and worked as a fundraiser and as an office manager. During that time, God slowed me down. He slowed me down a lot. He slowed me down so much I had two back surgeries within two weeks of each other during that period of time, just about 10 years ago, and I was partially paralyzed. He slowed me way down, and I had to take a back seat to Angie and let God take over. Um, And then in 2006, um, Bank of the James called me while I was working at Arriva as a financial analyst, and they said, would you like to open our Amherst office? And I said, no way. I don't want to go back into banking. I know what I went through. My mom said, Lord, child, please don't go back into banking. You almost had a nervous breakdown. But the more I prayed about it, God just kept opening door after door. No matter what I asked, they said yes. And he just kept opening door after door. And once I got in there, I realized that for eight years he let me do what Angie thought Angie needed to do from 1992 to 2000. And then eight years later he elevated me back beyond where I was without me doing anything. I just stepped back and let him take control. And they called me in July, which is the seventh month, to open their seventh branch. Our phone number was 9469777. We had seven employees, and our P.O. box had a seven in it. And I was like, okay, God, I get the message, (laughs) you know. Um, And 18 months later, he elevated me to this position, Um, now executive vice president, and I'm over the retail operation for Bank of the James. So um, he has allowed me to to use what I know about him and, and what he has poured into my life to really be a testimony to others because I share my faith, and I'm allowed to do that. And people know about my faith and some people know about my testimony but um, it, it's just been awesome when I step back and let him take control so that's a little bit about me um, I have done a lot of research and in putting this together a lot of the stuff I, I know from my experiences because I've been an office assistant at the bank I've been a teller I've been a customer service rep I've been a branch manager Um, I've been a lender, I've been a mortgage lender, I've been a financial analyst. So all of that rolled together has helped me try to put together something for you. And as I said, Stella is making copies for you so you can have these notes to take away. I was going through some scripture, and there are a couple that I want to share with you. um, But before we do that, let's open in prayer. 
Father, we thank you so much for the blessing of this day. We thank you, Father, that you allow us opportunities to study your word and apply your word to the everyday that we have to live. We thank you, Father, for the wisdom and knowledge that you grant us. We thank you so much for your grace and mercy that you extend to us. I pray, Father, that um, as questions come about that people were to ask, I pray that you would grant me the answers so I can provide them. And if I don't know them, Father, that I have the resources to get them. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, it says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant things. And in Luke 16, 1 through 8, it talks about, it's the parable of the unjust steward. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. The verses there are um, applicable to debts that we owe. A lot of people don't understand that if you are in debt and you talk with your debtors, sometimes they will have some grace. Show, extend some grace to you if you just talk with them. But we're going to get to that shortly. I just wanted to be able to share those scriptures with you. Um, Pastor gave me a few topics to talk about. Mainly we're going to talk about credit scores, but I also want to talk with you about checking and savings accounts because some people don't understand how to handle those accounts and how those accounts will determine how you handle your finances. Why put your money in the bank? First of all, your money is protected there. It's protected by FDIC, which is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, up to $250,000 per account. Some people think it's just $250,000 overall, but it is per account. You can have more than a million dollars in the bank, and it is insured. There's a, a structured way. For instance, um, Zeta could have an account with just her name. It's insured up to $250,000. She can have an account with her and her mother's name on it. That one's insured up to $250,000. She could have an IRA payable on death to someone. So there's a structured plan as to how accounts are insured up to $250,000 where you can have more than one account. So I would, if you, if you're interested in that information, your bank can provide you a copy of that to show you how you can structure that. Secondly, you can earn interest on the money you deposit in your in um, your savings and some checking accounts. And, of course, your mattress won't make that promise, and some of us may forget that we stash money away in different places. I know I have found money in pockets and um, pocketbooks just kind of tucked away because I forgot about it. Some people find managing finances easier with a bank account. And looking at your bank, bank statement will make creating a budget easier. And it can also give you a snapshot of where you spend your money because I know a lot of us will swipe debit cards and we have no idea of where the money went because it's $2 here, $5 there, $15, you know, in different places. But this, a bank statement can help you have a snapshot of where you spend your money. Bank accounts um, also make getting paid simpler. You can arrange for your employer to direct deposit your paycheck automatically into your bank account. And, of course, with the advances of technology, um, you can have a check card and you can have online banking where you can go and manage your money with, real-time, with a real-time watch on your funds versus getting a bank statement. More and more people use their bank's online bill pay to pay anywhere from credit and utility companies to the local church. An automatic bill pay tool sends weekly or monthly payments so you never have to worry about forgetting making your payments. However, some people recommend using this tool only for payments that are consistent. 
That means if your mortgage payment is the same every month or your car payment is the same every month or an installment loan is the same every month, you can set it up so those payments are drafted from your account automatically. I prefer using that method because I know I'm sending the funds away and someone's not automatically coming to take them from my account. Um, an ACH payment, that stands for Automated Clearinghouse. A lot of companies or your creditors will prefer you pay that way where they come in and draft your account. If you can avoid it, I recommend you do not go ACH because if they take two payments accidentally, and it does happen, it's happened to several people that I know, it is very hard to go back and get your money. They will say, oh, we'll refund you in 10 days. Well, within 10 days, you may have overdrawn your account because you have other bills to pay. So if you can avoid it, do not allow them to draft your account. You set it up so you send them the money, either by check or by online bill pay. And that will save you, could save your headache in the future. Um, real life situation, my daughter had her um, car insurance drafted twice from her account. Now, she is, you know, raising two children, trying to work basically paycheck to paycheck, and she fought hard trying to get $52 back. And they basically said, we can send you a check. And she said, it took you two seconds to take the money. It's going to take you 10 days to get it back to me. It's very frustrating for um, people to understand that a company will hold your money even if they found that they've made the mistake. There are some fees associated with bank accounts that some people have a tendency to forget about. So I've tried to list those on the first page for you. Minimum balance requirements, they're called service fees. They can range anywhere from 5 to $25 a month. I highly recommend that you get the most vanilla account that you can get, which is no minimum balance requirement um, and, and no fees associated with the account other than an, over, an overdraft fee. If you overdraw your account, banks will charge you, of course. Um, overdraft and insufficient funds fees, they can range anywhere from $25 to $35 per overdraft. Telephone fees, believe it or not, there are some banks that will charge you if you make more than two phone calls to the customer service center. They can charge $2.95 after that minimum number of calls just for you to talk to an individual, and they will draft it from your account. There are returned item fees. Say, for instance, someone gives you a check and you want to deposit it in, into your account, and their check is no good. If that check is no good, the bank drafts it back, and your bank may charge you a $6 fee because that check was no good. So if someone hands you a check and you want to deposit it, the safest thing to do, and let me make this disclaimer. Everything that I'm telling you is from my experience of dealing with customers in some of their situations. These are things I deal with usually on a weekly, daily basis sometimes. Um, I recommend if someone hands you a check, you go to your, either your institution or their institution and cash the check. That will save you a return item fee in the event that item is not good for re representation. Okay? Check cashing fees, sometimes they'll, a bank will charge you $5 if you don't have an account with them. So it's highly recommended that you go to an institution that's familiar with you to cash a check if you have one to cash. ATM fees, they range from $1 to $3 per transaction. And that's when you use a bank that's other than your own. Um, say, for instance, I have my Bank of the James ATM card and I go to Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo may charge me and my bank may charge me for using a Wells Fargo ATM. So you need to check with your financial institution to find out what those charges could be if you use what we call a foreign ATM. Debit, uh, there's a replacement card or a check card fee ranging from 3 to $10. If you were to lose your debit or check or ATM card, um, your bank can charge you to replace that. Some of them have a courtesy card that they will give you one time, but then the next time they'll charge you a fee. Debit fees, if using your check or debit card at retailers, there are some retailers that will charge you if you don't make a purchase of $5 or more. Um, it's my understanding that they are not supposed to charge you for that. I, I did not look into that with our attorney, but it's my understanding that by law they cannot put up a sign and say we will charge you a fee if your purchase is less than $5. But um, it's, it's always wise to find out because fees deducted from your account can add up, and that's a lot of times where the overdrafts come in. And I highly recommend that you ask your bank or financial institution, uh, credit union, whatever you use, what their policy is for insufficient funds activity on your account. 
because it's very important that you know what fees are associated with your account because we say every day, Mr. Jones, I opened your account for you and I gave you your disclosures. All the information was provided in your disclosures. We hand out eight to ten pages of disclosures. Very seldom does a customer read that. They don't read their signature card, which we consider a contract. When you sign that signature card to open your account, that's your contract with us that you understand what's going on with your account. And basically, we use that to, to stand behind some of the things that will occur on your account on the bank side. And it's hard, sometimes hard for you to fight a bank if you think they've made an error. We usually stand behind what we do because we've got your signature on this contract. So um, I would advise that you very carefully read any disclosures as quickly as you can regarding any account that you open. One important thing on disclosures, banks have the right of offset on your account. If you owe them money, they can go into your checking savings, checking savings and even a CD account and pull that money out if you're delinquent enough. You can be delinquent just 45 days and they can go into your account. Um, so they do reserve right of offset. They cannot offset IRAs or HSA accounts. They cannot touch those. But any other account that you have with them and you have a loan or a debt to them, they can go in and take the money. True life story. We had um, a customer who had a charge-off with us, I think, five or six years ago. And a charge-off means he didn't pay his debt. And we charged it off, but it was still hanging out there that he owed us the money. I guess he forgot. He came and opened a savings account with a large tax refund check, and we swiped it within 24 hours. And, of course, he was like, why would you take my money? You owed us from four or five years ago. I thought that debt was charged off. It was charged off, but it means you still owe it to us. You know, still hanging out there on this credit report. Um, checking and check card account don'ts. I've given you a list of those. Don't give your checking account number to anyone unless you're calling your financial institution to find out about activity on your account. There are people who will give their account number to anyone over a telephone for a magazine subscription, for a life insurance, whatever, to pay this, to pay that. And then they call and they say, I gave my checking account number to somebody that called me. Now they've taken all my money. There's really nothing we can do about it. We try to investigate for you. As a community bank, we do a lot to try to help our customers. But some of the larger banks, they're not going to take the time to do that. But I will say that, that we try to investigate. We call 800 numbers. We, we try to advocate for the customer and get some of their money back. But if you've given it out, that means you've given that person permission to go in your account and take that money because you gave them your routing number and your, your checking account number. Don't loan your check or debit card to anyone. There are people who say, oh, here, take my debit card and go buy me such and such and such and such. And then the person comes back, they've gone and they've gone, they've bought food, they've, you know, hit a movie or um, they decide to put gas in their car because they were running an errand for you. or You know, they will use your debit card. And they, you would say, oh, I know them. I didn't, don't think they would do that. They will. Usually they will. Don't write checks before making the deposit. You never know what will happen between the time you write the check and the time you think it's supposed to come from your account. Um, there is no such thing as float time anymore. It used to be you had three to five days float time. Check 21 is legislation that came out a few years ago. It shortened that float time. Your check can clear within one to two days. And believe me, I can't tell you how many phone calls we get during the week. My account is over, overdrawn. I know I made a deposit, and they realized I made the deposit after they had written the check. Once you write that check, consider the money gone. If, if, if you have written it, it's gone. Don't assume that someone's going to wait and deposit it. Um, don't assume that using credit for a check card purchase will give you float time. Those are usually immediate transactions. Don't give someone a post-dated check because you don't know when they're going to deposit it. And banks can let those checks go through without paying attention to the date. Um, that's happened before. Oh, I wrote that check for a week out. They've already made that deposit. Yes, and it's already cleared the account. So don't give someone a post-dated check. If you pay your credit card debts by check, don't record the entire number on the memo line. Only record the last four digits. I'm probably one of the most pessimistic people when it comes to banking because I've heard so many horror stories about 
um, accounts being stolen, about credit card accounts being jeopardized because someone obtained someone else's account number. You don't know who is handling your check when it gets to a destination. So the best thing to do is to only write the last four digits of your credit card account on the memo line just for identification purpose so they can apply it to the right account. Be extremely careful when using your check or debit card to make purchases. A lot of people make purchases online using their check or debit card and it backfires. And then you don't know who took your uh, money or, or why these weird transactions are showing up on your account. And then you, it, it takes a lot of legwork to investigate and it takes a lot of your time and, and it causes anxiety, believe me. And do not, do not, do not, do not close your account just to avoid an ACH payment that you have set up with the creditor because they will eventually find you. We have customers who close their accounts because they, oh, there's a draft coming out and I didn't mean to have that set up. So they come in and shut down their account. They will find you. They will, they will track you down and they, because they want their money. You've set up a contract with them. They want their money. But there are some things you can do with your checking account. Do compare accounts to make sure you're in the right product to suit your needs. Um, as I said, the no service fee, no minimum balance account um, accounts are the best. Do have a payable on death or a beneficiary associated with your account if you are setting up an individual account. If you die without a will and you have a bank account that is just in your name with no payable on death or beneficiary, that money sits there until someone gets qualified to come in and take those monies out. And that could take 30 to 60 days. If no one ever shows up to claim that money, after five years the state gets it. And that's called escheatment. The money just sits in the bank and goes to the state. If you have a will and you've specified in your will what, what the accounts are, where they are, that type of thing, of course I'm not an attorney so I can't tell you what you should and shouldn't put in your will, that's up to you um, and your attorney can, can direct you. But make sure that someone is aware of where your accounts are and someone can get their hands on them in the event that they need them for your burial or to pay your debts, that type of thing. Do balance your checking account and review your statement, please. Banks usually allow 60 days for any disputes you may have and don't ever assume that you or your bank don't make errors because it does happen. Um, we have what we call non-post issues because either the system went down or a check didn't clear properly or the account number wasn't read through the system and it ends up on a non-post list so that credit that you think you made to your account doesn't show up. If you see a questionable, questionable transaction on your account, do contact your bank immediately to ask for information regarding that transaction and if it's not yours, ask your bank if you need to complete an affidavit. Um, so that they can investigate and find out what that transaction is. Do maintain the minimum balance requirement um, if it's associated with your account because people forget that if they fall below a balance, a service fee will hit. And I can't tell you how many people have called me and said, I forgot what the minimum balance requirement was. I've never fallen below before. Can you please refund my money to me? <laughs> you know, um, I probably have to look at 10 refunds a week because people forget that they have a minimum balance requirement. And my first suggestion is let's open you an account that doesn't require a minimum balance. That's the best thing to do. You know, interest is not being paid very much on these accounts anymore. So people who want interest checking, they're getting 0 .05, 0 .02. You know, I think we're paying 0 .15, which is some of the highest interest in the industry right now. But you're not getting enough interest. Um, the, the pennies that you get, people say they can add up but usually you have a high minimum balance requirement on those accounts, sometimes $500. And that's $500 you can use to pay down debt or, or um, pay your bills or whatever. If you use checks, do remember to record the check order fee in your register um, because people will order checks and forget that there's $19.95 coming out of their accounts to pay for the checks. And then their account gets overdrawn and they call the bank and they say, my account's overdrawn, what happened? I had this money. Oh, you ordered some checks. You forgot to write the fee in your register. Um, if you pay your creditors by phone, usually there's a phone fee anywhere from $295 to $595. Don't forget to record that fee in your register 
again, it can cause an overdraft if you forget to write down transactions in your register, and that is a transaction. If you use ACH, remember to record the payments in your register. Some people think, oh, it comes out automatically. I think I've got enough money in there to cover it. Always make sure. You know, some people say, oh, I don't use registers anymore. They are plentiful. Your bank will give them to you. Use them to write things down. Yes, Lita. But there, there are those who will charge you a fee to, to take your money because basically you're using an individual and that individual has to be paid by that company. So to offset that, they charge you a fee. It's called overhead. Um, and they want your check number. Yes. Right. And, and you know the company. Like I said, don't give it to anybody you don't know, that's for sure. Do keep your deposit receipts until you have verified that the credit has been made to your account. Again, don't assume that the bank is not going to make an error. When using your check, debit, or ATM card in an ATM, always, always, always be aware of your surroundings. Um, I know that I've been uncomfortable pulling up to a drive-up ATM and somebody's pulled up real close to me or I feel like they're watching me. And sometimes people will walk up to drive-up ATMs and they're just standing there waiting for you to get out of the way. And I'll pull off. I won't use my ATM card if someone is just kind of standing around. Always be aware of your surroundings. And if you see something out of place at an ATM that it looks like an attachment has been made to the machine, don't use it because that's how some criminals gather information. Okay. Savings and money market accounts. These accounts are basically governed by the government. Um, banks are heavily regulated. We have compliance policies that we have to follow. We have uh, regulations that the government has put in place that we have to follow. And savings and money market accounts are governed under Regulation D, which basically says, okay, Mr. Bank, you're telling us you have this amount of money in your bank in case you fail and to cover your FDIC premiums. Um, we want you to hold that money in the account. So we're not going to allow customers to withdraw but six times per statement from savings and money market accounts. It's, n it's not us. It's not the bank. It's the government that tells us that. So savings and money market accounts are limited in the number of withdrawals that you can make. It's my understanding that most banks will allow you to use a teller or an ATM to make withdrawals. If you sit and have those accounts set up online and make online transfers from those accounts, that's considered a withdrawal. Um, <clears throat> we had a customer who was transferring money from her savings to her checking like every other day. She got hit with a ton of fees because once you go over six, they start charging you per transaction over six. And she calls in and she says, I had no idea I was using my own money. You know, again, I didn't know the disclosure said that. Nobody told me. Um, so, you know, I split it with her and um, she stopped doing it. And then she let it fall below the minimum <laughs> balance requirement. So she came back again. But anyway, be very mindful of what your institution says about savings and money market accounts because you can be hit with a fee if you make too many withdrawals. Certificates of deposit, of course, are a great way to save for your future, but they do have early withdrawal penalties associated with them. Again, with the low interest rate environment, it may not amount to much if you need the money, but just check with your financial institution to find out what they are. It could be six months' worth of interest. Um, our five-year CD is 18 months worth of interest that you would have to pay if you withdraw early. And I have some FYIs. Um, all deposit accounts should be given the same consideration, of course, for POD or beneficiary. Um, if you have a joint owner or an authorized signer on, a, on an account, you are giving them permission to use your funds. So be very careful if you're going to add someone to your account as a joint owner or an authorized signer. You are giving them permission to use those funds. Most banks allow minors under the age of 18 to have an account, and some banks will require a parent or guardian to sign for responsibility of a check, debit, or ATM card associated with a minor account. Some parents want their children to have accounts, and then they say, I didn't give them permission to use their debit card at such and such place. You did when you signed that you would be responsible for that card. If you plan to travel outside of the country, if possible, notify your bank. 
There are some banks who monitor heavily debit card and check card transactions. We do. Um, there are what we call high traffic and high crime areas that if a card is used frequently, we'll shut a card down. Exactly. Um, if they see something out of the norm, I remember James and I took a cruise um, for one of our anniversaries, and I was trying to use my credit card, and I couldn't use it. And I had to wait until we ported in Florida to get on the phone to find out why I couldn't use my credit card. And they said, well, Ms. Johnson, you've never used it outside of the state of Virginia. <laughs> and they, Right. And they shut me down. So I had to explain to them that I was traveling and I was on a cruise, and I needed to use it, you know, a couple of times. But um, find out what your institution does. I know with us, we ask our customers to let us know if they're going out of the country and will be traveling because we do have a report that lets us know that a transaction is out of the norm. Beware of fraud and scams. Um, let me see. She may have attached one of those. No, that's not attached. But I can give, get you a copy of what to beware of. Right. That, that's from the Lynchburg Police Department. Thank you, Zita. Um, and identity fraud is prevalent nowadays. There's a difference between fraud and identity theft. I guess I should clarify that. Identity theft means that, um, say, Cami Taylor has assumed my identity, and she is posing as Angie Johnson when she goes and makes a transaction. That's identity theft. Fraud is she has taken one of my checks and she signed my name. And even though that seems like she's posing as me, she's basically just taking my money, trying to, trying to get my money. Um, and it is very prevalent out there. There are computer hackers who are going into personal computers. Uh, we were made aware of um, someone in our community. Their personal computer was hacked. The individuals that did it were in Malaysia or somewhere like that, but they had cohorts in Florida. They were wiring money because they were able to go in and see this person's bank, bank statements on their personal computer. Somehow they cut and paste their signature onto forms and over $100,000 left the man's account before he could blink. And so, again, a struggle to try to get your, your identity back, get your money back, um, shut these people down. Um, whatever virus protection you can have on your personal computer, use it. If, you, if your office or the company you work for gives you permission to do personal banking on your computer at work, usually there's so many firewalls in place no one can penetrate those. So be very careful using your banking information or anything with your social security number on your home computer. Make sure protections are in place. Um, use cross-cut cross shredders to shred junk mail. We had someone accidentally shred $800 in cash, and he wanted to tape it back together and <laughs> bring it to us to send to the Fed. And I said, no, we can't do that. And the branch manager said, she said, but I think he can do it. I said, let's stop and think about this. Is he going to get the right serial numbers <laughs> the right bill? Because if he does it, the Fed's going to send it back to us and say it's no good. So we're going to be out $800, you know. But he has shredded in just one of the regular shredders, and he just felt like, you know, I, I can put this back together. There are people who will put your information together. Cross-cut shredders, of course, put it in tinier pieces, and it's harder to tape things back together. So I suggest cross-cut shredders for junk mail credit card statements, credit card solicitations that you may get in the mail, they come with an application. And if you just toss them, someone dumpster diving or trash diving can get that application and complete it in your name. Um, and again, if you're a co-maker or a co-signer on a loan, you're responsible for the payment if the loan is delinquent. Your credit report can be affected by that, whereas a guarantor is responsible if the loan goes into default. That means that no payments have been made or somebody has just stopped making payment. Um, a guarantor, usually their credit is not affected, but they are still responsible for the payment. All that being said, if you overdraw your checking account, there are banks who will report you to credit bureaus. If you overdraw your account $50 or more for 30 days or more, Bank of the James will report you to the credit bureau, and it will affect your credit. Um, for those of you who have gone through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, which I have, it's a wonderful course. 
don't get me wrong, but Dave Ramsey now has millions, so he can afford to say a lot of the things that he says. But in real-life situations, people usually need a credit score to get things done, to buy a house, to buy a car, to obtain credit to try to move forward because um, there are a lot of people out there who use your credit score for different things. What is a credit score? It's a measure of risk used to assess an individual's credit worthiness. They're generated from a statistical model that weigh different factors in a person's credit record, like your bill paying history, the number and type of accounts you have, how many late payments you've had, whether or not you have collection action, outstanding debt, and how old the accounts are. And there's a system that each of the credit bureaus use um, to award points for each of those factors. And those total points are what make up your score. There are different credit scores. Some people call them FICO scores. Some of them call bureau scores. There's a Vantage score, PLUS score, a multitude of things, but mostly we refer to them just as credit scores. And there's a sheet in your packet that has a graph at the bottom that tells you the different scores. 35% um, of your score is based on your payment history. 30% is based on how much you owe. 15% is based on how long you've had credit. 10% is based on inquiries, and 10% is based on the types of credit that are in use. And I've given you some points on um, the other credit scores. And you want to say, who uses credit scores? Well, we know lenders use credit scores. We know mortgage companies use credit scores. Credit card companies use credit scores. Insurance companies use credit scores, especially automobile insurance companies. Your employer will use your credit score. They want to know, especially at, at a bank, we want to know how you handle your finances because we don't want to hire someone who, you know, may get itchy, <laughs> um, itchy fingers coming in handling money every day. And we want to know that, you, that you're responsible for your credit because you may have to talk with people and help them be responsible for their funds. Landlords use credit reports. Some utility companies use credit reports and cell phone companies use credit reports. Everybody looks at your credit report differently. Some look at it for the score, some look at it for the history, and some look at it for what types of accounts you already have. The best thing to do is to have a decent score in all of those areas. The difference between just looking at your score and looking at the history is if I see someone with, a, say, a 563 score, having been a lender, um, if I'm score-driven, I'm not going to make a loan. But if I am customer-driven, I'm going to look at the history to find out why the 563 is there. It could be they've had some medical problems and medical collections have driven the score down. It could be they have had um, a foreclosure or repossession of an automobile, but they have reestablished credit or trying to reestablish credit. It takes 30 to 45 days for a credit score to start to improve if you're trying to pay debt down. So. Just looking at a score doesn't give the whole picture of what's going on. Your credit report includes your name, your address, your date of birth, um, where you've lived, where you have credit, and your employers. So all the information is usually on the first page of your credit report. That's why so many people use the um, credit report to make decision, decisions about you. Things that affect your credit score positively the length of time you've been building credit, the longer your credit history, the higher your credit rating. If you have credit accounts that have been open for a long time, keep them open even if you're not using them. Because that says, oh, this person's had this account 10, 15 years, but they're not necessarily using it, you know, or they've monitored it, they've, they've kept the balances off or kept the balances low. So you're considered a, credit, a good credit risk. If you, yes? Quick question on that. It is. It, some banks use it, some banks don't. Um, we do not. So it just depends on the financial institution you're working with. Some of them look at it that you've got 20000 open and you may jack it up to 20000 Some look at it, oh, you know, he's credit worthy, he doesn't use the 20000 So it just depends on how they look at it. Um, paying your bills on time and in full is a positive thing to do. The most important factor to a potential lender is whether or not you will pay your bills in full and on time. The more recent your good or bad payment history, the more important it will be for your credit score. Using 25% or less of your available credit, 
for example, if you have a $10,000 limit on a credit card, if you have more than a $2,500 balance on it, it will drive your score down. So try not to have more than 25% of your available credit used up. Steady employment, people who are steadily employed are viewed, are viewed as being better able to pay their bills on time. Most lenders look for two years of steady employment in the same field. It used to be they just looked for two years of steady employment, but now they want to know that you're not job hopping. Unfortunately, the financial crisis 2007-2008 has caused banks and lenders to look at individuals a little bit differently than they did because part of that crisis was based on subprime lending where mortgage loans were being made to people who maybe hadn't paid their bills or had low credit scores, but mortgage lenders went out and found them a loan, and then interest rates started going up and people couldn't pay their loans. So they tightened what they look at. And as a result of that, a lot of banks just started tightening what they look at when someone's coming to borrow money. So it affected a lot of things. Things that affect your credit score negatively, late or missed payments, using more than 80% of your total amount of available credit, the more credit cards you have that are maxed out, the lower your score will be. Again, you could have them open and not used, but if they're maxed out, it drives your score down. Collection, yes, Zita. If you're not if you're not using them, they're not affecting your score. I will say this though, um, about nine or ten years ago, when I went to make a vehicle purchase, we had already paid our house off, and so we hadn't had a mortgage payment for about three or four years, and I couldn't get a vehicle loan. They said my score wasn't high enough, and I said, "What? I don't have any outstanding credit." That was the point. For the last three or four years, I didn't have a credit history. I hadn't been paying anybody anything. So I had to basically reestablish credit on top of credit that I already had because I hadn't been paying anything for a few years. Unfortunately, it is. <laughs> owe them a little bit and, and keep your history going so your credit score stays up. And yes, because they will they will report a balance and then they take it off. It 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 kind of right. Sometimes it takes, like I said, it takes 30 to 45 days to adjust. But if you owe them, they will report it. And if you don't pay them, of course, they will report it. Um, yes. <laughs> Collections or bankruptcies can stay on your report for 7 to 10 years, even if you pay them. Um, and they will drive your score down quickly. Collections, if you get a collection notice that you owe a creditor, try to settle it as soon as possible. And make sure you follow up because they don't always take it off your credit report. And when you go to borrow money, all of a sudden it's sitting there. And you're like, I thought I paid that. Keep a copy of everything when you pay a collection so that you can fight to get that off your credit report. Okay. Yes, sir. Unfortunately, it's on you because it's in your name. You would have to contact the credit bureau agencies, um, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. Those are the three big ones. And you have to write a letter of dispute and have them put it on your credit report that you have a dispute with DISH or whoever it is that you do not owe that payment. Again, it, unfortunately, it falls on the, 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 per, the individual when someone has used your identity to obtain credit. Um, something that came to light, it didn't really come to light, it's been happening for years, but the news got hold of it. There are people who will use their children's names and social security numbers to obtain credit when they have jacked their credit up already. And then when their child gets to be of an age that they need to obtain credit, they can't 
because their parents have used their, their name and social security numbers and gotten credit. And I think that is so, so very bad. They On the, they, they, have, they falsify information. And, I mean, for a credit card, they really don't care. They have a name and a social security number to bill to. But on the flip side, and I think this is a, a great idea if you can do it, if you have um, a teenager, say, 16 or 17 years old, and you have good credit and you want to help them establish credit before they have to go out there and really do it themselves, you could make them an authorized user on one credit card that maybe has a 500 or or $1,000 balance. They don't have to know about it. You just make them an authorized user. You keep it keep good credit on that account, that helps them to establish credit. Um, someone in my family did that, so when their child became 18, they were able to go out and buy a car because their parent had made them an authorized user on an account at the age of 16, and they just kept paying that card, making sure there was a little bit out there to help establish the history for them. Twelve to eighteen months. Twelve to eighteen months minimum. Yes. So um, that's one way you can help your child establish credit. Periods of unemployment. Your employment history again can be listed on your credit report. Oh, I want to go back to liens, tax or property liens, short sales or foreclosures can end up on your credit report for up to fifteen years. Now I know there are ads out there that say bad credit, no problem. Bankruptcy, no problem. There is a problem. They are predatory lenders, and we call them predatory lenders because they prey on people who have bad credit. They will charge you any interest rate that they can get away with, and they are basically loan sharks in my book. Again, all of these are my personal opinions that I'm, I'm presenting, um, and I apologize if anyone works for the, any of those companies if I offend anyone in the room, but I think 24.99% on an automobile is just too much. And I know that people need to have automobiles, but there are automobiles out there that can be found for 500 to $1,000 that can run perfectly fine for you. I, I find myself hating them people that label their, um, give them their car alert, their title, and their loan money. And they have I'm getting to that. I'm getting to I that. Mean, I, I would ride by this place and say, I hate it. <laughs> I, I didn't know anybody, but my friend did. And so it bothers me. Because what happens is, in my experience, it's called cyclical debt. You find out it's easy to go do it, so you keep doing it over and over again, and you, a lot of people just don't dig themselves out of it. Um, the worst type of credit, credit accounts to have are finance company accounts, payday or card title loan accounts, and credit repayment plans. Credit repayment plans are great if you are in debt and you just can't see your way out and you go to someone and they set up a credit repayment plan for you make sure you understand what it is they're doing and in most cases it will show up on your credit report and if it shows up on your credit report that's telling a lender they've had problems paying their debt before they had to go get a credit repayment plan but on the other hand they've been paying it just fine so you know i think i may be able to do this it there are some banks that use a, a um, a software system that tells them whether or not to make a loan for you. And then there are community banks that, like ours, that look at the whole picture and we try to take into account what's happening in a person's life. Um, but the, when I did research, those were the three accounts that all the research I did said were the worst types of credit accounts to have. Be creditors smart about home equity loans. Remember, you are securing your home, which is probably your most valuable asset. True story. A lady came to me and said, I need to get a loan. She needed $25,000. And she was visibly shaking the whole time she was talking with me. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And she said, I just kept buying and buying and buying, and all of a sudden I owe all this money, and I can't keep up with the payments. The only way I could do a loan for her was for her to secure her home. The problem was she hadn't told her husband she was in debt. And when she went to tell him, I'm either going to have to declare bankruptcy, you're going to be included, or I need you to put the house up, he hit the roof. She ended up bringing him in to me, and he agreed to do this to help her reestablish herself. But you could cut the tension with 
chef's knife and she still was visibly shaking because she had gotten herself in that situation. That was over five years ago. I've never forgotten that lady because she was making herself sick. She was losing weight. Her hair was falling out. She had just gotten herself in a place that she never thought she'd be in. It was one of those situations where she worked with other ladies who may have had other funds accessible to them. Their husbands, this lady's husband was retired. Their husbands may have had jobs, and she was, you know, taking them out to lunch, going out with them, spending money, going on trips, buying things that she probably shouldn't have been buying because she told me, I can't remember what I did with the money. And that was pretty sad. Um, and I have looked her up, and um, she's doing well now. But that's one person I'll never forget because she was just so anxious. She was, she was just a, a, a bag of nerves having to go through that. So be creditor smart when you're getting a home equity loan. If you have to get a home equity loan, try to use it for home improvement. Medical bills if you have to because they will haunt you. Um, and if you must do a debt consolidation loan using your home, try not to do it for more than five years because people will roll every bit of debt they have into a debt consolidation loan and use their home um, as collateral if you put a car in it. If that loan is 10 years out, you're paying for that car for 10 years. More than likely, you're going to get another car in 10 years. If you put credit card debt into it, you may have been able to pay that credit card debt off in three years, but you've extended it out 10 years. And people will say, oh, I can you know, deduct the interest on my tax return. Is it worth it? Stop and ask yourself, is it worth it? So be very smart if you have to use your home um, to do a debt consolidation loan. A few tips on how to repair your credit. First of all, get a copy of your credit report. Review, review it for any discrepancies. Review it for accuracy. Review it to see if anyone has gotten a dish system in your name or a credit card or a cell phone or whatever in your name. Um, but it is, you're right, um, freecreditreport.com. There are some other creditors, I mean credit report agencies that are advertising now where you can get them free. But remember, sometimes you have to pay for the score. You can, get a, you can get a credit report that shows your history, accounts open, length of time, but sometimes you have to pay for the score, so be mindful of that. Um, but it is on you to repair anything that you see that is inaccurate on your credit report. Bring delinqu delinquent accounts up to date. Talk with your creditors. Um, that's why I brought in Luke 16. Talk with your creditors if possible to discuss repayment options. Sometimes they will extend you a period of grace. They just want to hear from you. Start paying down your debt. Steady payments will help increase your score as you're steadily paying the debt down. And stop applying for new credit. Inquiries drive your score down, especially if you're the one making the inquiries. If you're purchasing a car, they'll send it out to six, seven, eight different banks to see who comes back with the best interest rate for you. That doesn't normally count. If you're uh, looking for a mortgage, trying to purchase a house, they'll shoot it out to different institutions. They don't normally count and drive your score down. But if you personally are making inquiries, opening up credit lines, it will drive your score down. Make sure any collections, liens, or bankruptcies that have been paid in full are promptly reported. Keep copies of everything. Be patient. There's no quick way to repair your credit report. It can take up to 45 days for payments to post to your Report and I have given you information um, www.creditreport.com where you can go and try to get a free credit score and a three-in-one credit report. One thing you do need to do is to find out how your credit score drives your automobile insurance, and I've given you some information on maybe what they look at um, when you're obtaining automobile insurance. A lot of people are saying that's not fair. You know, why are they jacking up my insurance premiums? based on my credit score. Basically, they're a creditor. You're paying them every month or every year or every six months or however you pay your premium. They want to see how you're going to pay. Are you going to be a good customer for them? Because if you, if you start paying your car insurance premiums late, your premium will go up. Just like if you pay your credit card payments late, a late fee hits if you're one day late. It may not show up on your credit report because it's not 30 days late, but if you're one day late, a fee will hit. Um, and those $35 fees can add up. Your insurance premiums going up, even if you're a good driver, 
it adds up. So save yourself some money. Find out what your insurance company looks at. Find out if they've reviewed your credit report recently. Um, if they use your credit report, see if you can get a discount based on your credit score. So I'm giving you some, some information on that. That pretty much concludes my presentation today. Um, I think we have some a few minutes for questions, if anyone has any. I hope I've provided you some information to think about. Yes, ma'am. Credit unions and banks are a little bit different in the way they're governed. Um, credit unions are member-owned by the members of the credit union. And basically, credit union members, they can vote on their board of directors and that type of thing, and money is reinvested back into the credit union. So they can pay you higher interest, and they can give you better interest rates on your car loans. Whereas with the bank, we're governed, of course, by the federal government. Um, FDIC, and you all are insured up to $250,000 also. And I think it's NCUAA, and I cannot remember what those letters stand for that uh, you're insured by. Um, but basically, we have different regulations that we're governed under, um, and a lot, of, a lot of it is as a result of the um, Depression. A lot of the regulations started coming about. Believe it or not, a, a holiday, a one-day holiday was declared. I think it was 1933, March the 6th. I know all of this because I'm teaching a class at work. <laughs> um, the President, President Roosevelt declared a holiday, um, March, 1960, March 1933, just for people to calm down because of the crisis that was going on. And I thought to myself, one day to calm people down? <laughs> he declared a bank holiday. But a lot of the regulations came about as a result of the Depression. Yes, ma'am. That's, I try to use bank or financial institution. It just depends on your preference. Um, oh, it doesn't. In some ways, in some ways they're not. You may, you may have more benefits at a credit union than a bank. Yeah, bank of but America Haven't had a problem. I wish I knew what their software um, <laughs> provider was. But it's a, it's all a personal preference. Yeah. Um, also, with credit unions, make sure again you have all the information involved that that um, it's involved on your account. It's, it's just it's better to be informed than to be caught off guard. Um, my sister-in-law just left a credit union because they were doing her what you said Bank of America did to you. Her credit union did that to her. So she left the credit union and went to the bank. <laughs> so it, it can happen. I mean, we're human. Um, machines are machines. Software is written by humans, and errors happen. Um, errors happen every single day. I, I can't tell you how many errors can happen in a day. But um, it's just wise to, to have knowledge about your account. Guaranteeing the funds, they want to make sure that check is good. It doesn't. It doesn't necessarily take ten days, but believe you me, we have had people who have deposited checks and we've placed a two to seven day hold, and two weeks later we find out that that check is not good. So, um, large large checks um, are usually nine to ten days, and like I said, it's just guaranteeing that the funds are good. And if it's even if it's from reputable places, I mean, they, they have long track record. They still do that. We get a notification at least once a week that some bank somewhere is reporting uh, cashier's checks haven't been stolen. Yeah, they do that to my cashier's checks. Yeah, unfortunately. Back to the credit union thing. Credit, it goes back to the part of what you said, but credit unions a lot of times will limit your debit card to a maximum of five hundred dollars per person. Like if you're running a business account through them, we usually do the credit union. And if you have any need for what's for multiple debit card transactions or if you're doing a business bill, 
charge you way more for whatever yeah, things you're trying. And it's not only checking your bank statements, check your credit card statements too because a few years back I got a credit card statement from Sears. We hadn't used that Sears account forever and somebody purchased five shirts <laughs> in Northern Virginia where I hadn't been and as far as I knew James hadn't been in Northern Virginia to buy any shirts. So I called them and somebody had mixed, someone made a purchase, they didn't have the credit card with them human error, they tried to call to get an account number, they wrote the account number down wrong, and it showed up on our statement. So, you know, so <laughs> check your credit card statements as well as your bank statements. But you're right, um, banks do limit POS purchases also. POS means point of sale, and sometimes that's how it shows up on your account. Um, we limit you to $1,500 per day, and we're getting ready to increase that. Some banks go up to $5,000, $10,000 per day. No, Christmas time is when a lot more fraud happens. Yes. Shred it, cross shred it. <laughs> There is a code, and you don't necessarily have to fill in your um, Social Security number, and somebody can just sign it and it not even look like a name. It could just be a scribble of a signature, but it has happened. Okay. I so. use a spray shredder and then just dump the bag in the dumpster. As I said, I'm probably one of the most pessimistic people because I deal with this stuff day to day. If I use a straight shredder or if I just tear things up and put it in my trash can, I either pour grease, water, soda, something on top of it to make it messy so people don't want to dig in it. So, I mean, it's, and, or if you take it to the dumpster, try to put it in the machine that you know they're going to push the button and go ahead and compress it. Try not to put it in just a regular dumpster. If, if you have that where you take your trash. In the in the county, we take our trash to um, a, a dumpster area, and they have a machine that you can put your trash on, and they push a button every now and then that go ahead and compresses the trash. So, but if you're putting it in your regular trash can, like I said, try to liquefy it or something. <laughs> Make it as messy as possible so someone won't want to dig through it. Are there any more questions? Yes, ma'am. Well, that, sometimes that's easy to answer. Um, there was a time where you could get a store credit card and establish credit that way, $500, um, and charge a little something, not more than you know, 50% on the card, charge a little something, pay the bill every month for at least a year to 18 months. There are some banks that will say, I'll help you establish credit. I will give you a $2,500 loan. They take that money, they put it in an account, they draft that account to make the payments for you over a 18-month, two-year period. Excuse me. That establishes credit for you. They hold that money so you can't get to it. Now, that's if you go out and get credit and you create bad credit for yourself, that good credit may not offset that bad credit. But there are some banks that will do that for you. So, is it costing that person money, or the bank is taking care of the payment? The bank is draft. It, it's costing them interest. They're paying a little interest, but the bank is just, they put that money in an account. They just start drafting the payments from that until it's paid in full. If you get a, like a store credit card or something, and you pay the minimum balance as opposed to paying it off in full each month, does it affect your credit? It's establishing a history for you. It, right, no. As long as you pay the minimum balance on time, if you pay it on time, it's a positive thing. If you don't pay it on time, of course, it's a negative thing. But whether you pay it off or, or pay the minimum balance on time, it's a positive towards your credit score. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
And because of new legislation that came about um, as a result of the financial crisis, if you get a credit card statement and see if you pay the minimum balance, it takes you this amount of years. If you pay this, pay more, it takes that came about as part of the Dodd-Frank bill. Um, there's something called UDAP. Um, I know the D is deceitful and abusive acts against consumers. It's, it's legislation that's in place to help protect the consumer. Um, I've just come from Philadelphia. I got from Philadelphia this past Thursday. Um, I'm in graduate school of banking. Go figure. There's a graduate degree for banking. Um, I thought I was finished when I got my MBA. But um, they were talking about legislation to protect consumers. Um, unfortunately, it makes it more stringent on banks because of Consumer Protection Acts as a result of the Dodd-Frank bill. And the Dodd-Frank bill came about because of the financial crisis. It is the largest piece of legislation ever. It's over, I think, 2,800 pages. And a lot of other legislation, you know, maybe 1,000 pages. But it's all about protecting the consumer and making the consumer aware. So I hope I've helped make you more aware about what goes on with your bank account and your credit scores, and I'll be happy to answer any questions that you may have later. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our website is cornerstonelynchburg.com. You may call us at 434-847-4796, and our physical address is 525 Old Graves Mill Road in Lynchburg, Virginia.